Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Captain Brooke was ever married. He was married just after he came out to India, Stanley said, so it's likely enough that you would never have heard of it. He died three years ago, and my mother and sisters are now in England. Uh, what is the connection between us? I have never heard my father speak much of his family. Your father was a cousin of mine, second cousin, I think. I fancy there was some row between your grandfather and the rest of the family. I don't know anything about the rights or wrongs of it, for it was, of course, many years before we were born, and I never heard of your father's existence until a fortnight before I left England. Then there were some inquiries made about the family, owing to various deaths that took place in it, uh, do you know that your father was related, distantly, of course, to the Earl of Netherly? Yes, I do remember his mentioning it once. I know he said that it was a distant connection, and that he knew nothing whatever about the Earl of his family. Well, curiously enough, if it's not so distant now, the other said, I was a pretty distant connection of his. He was childless, and the family generally didn't seem to have been prolific. A good many of them died, and the result was, the year before I left England, an uncle of mine succeeded to the title. He has no son, and my father was his next brother. My father died two years ago, and the result is, to my astonishment, I found that I was next heir to the title. They wanted me to leave the army when my regiment was ordered out to India, but of course I was not going to do that, for my aunt may die and my uncle marry again and have children. Besides, I was not going to leave anyhow, just as the regiment was ordered abroad and might see service. However, there was a great hunting by the lawyers in the genealogical tree, and I know it was decided that in case anything happened to me, your father would have been the next heir, had he been alive. I don't know whether any further inquiries were made, or whether they ever ascertained that he had married. I don't suppose there were, for, of course, as long as I lived the matter is of no importance. So that, as things stand now, if a Burmese bullet puts an end to my career, you are the next heir to the title. Well, you surprise me indeed, Stanley said. From the way my father spoke of the matter, I am sure that he had not the slightest idea there was any likelihood whatever that he would have had any chance of succeeding to the title. Oh, that I can well imagine, for it was not until a few years ago, when the deaths of several who stood between him and the succession occurred, that my uncle regarded his coming into it as a matter worth thinking about, and, of course, all our family stood between it and your father. However, as you see, we have dwindled away, and if I do not get safely through this business, you are the next heir. It is certainly curious news to hear at a dinner in Burma, Stanley said thoughtfully. At any rate, I can assure you honestly that the news gives me no particular satisfaction. I suppose it would be a nice thing to come in for a peerage. 
but my prospects out here are good. I have no intention of staying in the army after the end of the war, and am really in partnership with my uncle, with whom I have been for the last three years in business, which is turning out very well. I like the life, and have every chance of making enough to retire on with ample means. Certainly I should not like to come into the title by the death of anyone that I knew. "'Well, that is the fortune of war,' the other said, smiling. "'We get our steps by death vacancies. We're sorry for the deaths, but the steps are not unwelcome. Oh, by the way, my name is Harry. I know that yours is Stanley. I vote that we call each other by them. We are cousins, you know, and I suppose that as you are my heir, you must be my nearest male relative at present. So I vote that we call each other by our Christian names, instead of brooking each other always.' Oh, I shall be very glad to do so, Stanley said cordially. I hope that we shall be close friends as well as distant relations. Then, as there was a momentary lull in the conversation, Harry raised his voice and said to the Colonel, A very curious thing has just happened, Colonel. Brooke and myself have just discovered that we are cousins, and what is still more curious, that if anything happens to me, he takes my place as next heir to my uncle, a fact of which he was entirely ignorant. Well, that is certainly a very curious coincidence, Brooke. Very singular. Then you have not met before. I did not even know of his existence, Colonel, and had indeed no idea that Captain Brooke, his father, had been married. The cousinship's a distant one, but there is no question, whatever, as to his being next in succession myself to the peerage. The discovery excited general interest, and quite turned the conversation for the time from the subject of the war and of their approaching advance. After dinner was finished, many of the officers gathered round Stanley, asking him questions about the nature of the country, and his experiences as a captive in the hands of the Burmese. Presently Colonel Adair, who had also dined at the mess, joined the group. "'I suppose, Mr. Brooke,' he said, "'your newly found cousin had told you about his adventure with the leopard?' "'Why, no, Colonel, he has not said anything about a leopard.' "'He is grievously afflicted with modesty,' the Colonel went on, "'and so I tell it for him.' for I think you ought to know that he is not only able to speak half a dozen languages, but that he is capable of doing deeds of exceptional gallantry. You can go and chat with the Colonel, Brooke. He is anxious to hear your report as to the country, and I'll be your trumpeter here. Stanley gladly moved away and entered into conversation with the Colonel of the 47th, while Colonel Adair related his adventures with the leopard to his cousin and the officers standing round. "'By Jove, that was a plucky thing,' Harry Brooke said admiringly. "'It was indeed,' the Colonel agreed, as similar exclamations went round the circle. "'I don't think one man in a hundred would have attacked a leopard with no weapon but a knife, except to save the life of a comrade. Even then it would be a most desperate action. I've done a good deal of big game-hunting in India, but I'm certain that nothing but a strong affection for a comrade in the grasp of a leopard would induce me to risk almost certain death in the way your cousin did.' We should never have heard of it, if we had not got the details from the man he saved, and who has since attached himself to him as a servant, and is the man who, as I dare say he did tell you, served as his companion and guide in making his way down here. At any rate, you see, Brooke, your cousin is an uncommonly fine young fellow, and you have reason to be proud of the relationship. Oh, I feel so, Colonel, and it's really a pleasure to know that if one does go down, a thoroughly good fellow will benefit by it instead of some unknown person who might be a very objectionable representative of the family. For the next three or four days the bustle of preparations went on, and on the fifth a detachment was sent up with a sloop and gunboats to attack an advanced position of the enemy on the Line River. 
although the three thousand Burmese who were posted in a strong stockade were supported by thirty-six guns. The works were carried by storm with little loss. The two branches of the Palang, or Rangoon River, by which the forces were to advance against Donabu, were on the following day reconnoitred for some distance. A number of fire-rafts were destroyed, but the Burmese were too disheartened to offer any resistance. To the disappointment of the troops, the general was able to take with him only a limited force, for the difficulties of carriage were enormous, and, as experience had shown, that the country was likely to be deserted and devastated on their approach. It was therefore impossible for the bulk of the army to be taken on by land. There were other points, however, where the troops left behind could be profitably employed. The capture of the important town of Bassein on the main branch of the Irrawaddy would open the river to the passage of our ships, and put an entire stop to the trade of Ava. The force told off for the advance against Donabu was divided into two columns, the first, twenty-four hundred strong, consisting of the thirty-eighth, forty-first, and forty-seventh regiments, three native battalions, the troop of bodyguard, a battery of Bengal horse artillery, and part of the rocket company was to march by land. The second column, which was to proceed by water, was eleven hundred and sixty-nine strong, and it consisted of the eighty-ninth regiment, the tenth Madras Europeans, and two hundred fifty of the eighteenth native infantry a body of dismounted artillery, and the rest of the rocket company. This force was commanded by Brigadier General Cotton. It was to be carried in a flotilla of sixty-two boats, each armed with one or two guns, and the boats of all the ships of war at Rangoon, under the command of Captain Alexander, R.N. Major Sale was, at the same time, to advance against Bassine, with six hundred men of the 13th Regiment, and the 12th Madras Native Infantry, with some artillery. After occupying the town he was to cross the country, lying between the two main arms of the Irrawaddy, and to join the general's force near Donabu. The rest of the force, nearly four thousand men, chiefly native regiments and Europeans who had not, as yet, recovered sufficient strength to take part in field operations, was to remain at Rangoon, under Brigadier General McRae, who was to form a reserve column in readiness to move as directed, as soon as sufficient transport was collected. It was to the water-force that the capture of Donabu was entrusted, as it lay upon the opposite bank of the Irrawaddy, while the general's force was directed against Tharawa, at the junction of the two main branches of the river. Here they were to be joined by General Cotton's force after the capture of Donabu. Then, unless the court of Ava sued for peace, a united advance was to be made on the important town of Prome. End of chapter 10 The Advance Recording by Mike Harris.